Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness, your love, your mercy, Lord, your long-suffering with us, how patient you are with us, God, and yet, Lord, how you know exactly those areas in our life that we think we've swept under the rug, that we think no one else knows, Lord, and yet it's affecting the lives of those around us, Lord. Would you reveal that to us, Lord? Help us to have soft hearts that are willing to repent, um, willing, Lord, to surrender everything because you are worthy. And we know that time is short, God. We don't want to waste time in defeat. We don't want to waste time um, running away. God, we don't want to retreat, Lord. We want to advance in you and for your name and for your kingdom, Lord. I pray for each and every one of my sisters here tonight. If any of them are tired, Lord, would you just renew their strength, Lord? May they mount up on wings as eagles. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week, my son asked me, what do you call words that they're spelled the same, um, but you pronounce them differently and, and they mean different things? And so confidently as the English teacher, I said homonyms, but it turns out I was wrong. So I have to tell him, I have to go back and be like, actually, because he was like, no, I don't think that's what they're called. I'm like, Hello, mama's an English teacher, but he was right. That's not what they're called. So homonyms have different meanings, same spelling, same pronunciation. So words like bat, right? Depending on what you pictured, maybe you thought of Batman or like a baseball bat. Sink, right? A place where you wash dishes, never ending place where we wash dishes, where there's always dishes. <laughs> um, or you know, when a, when a boat or something goes down in the water. Right can mean being correct, unlike me when it came to the term homonyms, or, you know, direction. Nail, right? Maybe you just got your nails done. Maybe there's a project and, you know, there's nails in there. So homograph is the word that my son was asking about. It's a word that it's pronounced differently even though it's spelled the same. So we think of bow or bow. Does that ever happen to you in the worship songs? That you're like, man, I said the wrong one. <laughs> and you had your eyes closed and you're like, wait, and you open them. And you're like, ah, oh, I pronounced it wrong. Um, bass or bass, right? The fish versus the instrument. So different meanings, same spelling, different pronunciation, homograph. And then there's homophones that are... Different spelling, same pronunciation, different meaning, right? So there's all these different homonyms, homograph, homophones. And in preparing for this teaching, believe it or not, I came across an article on homophones by Writer's Digest. And again, I am so thankful for your ladies' patience with my nerdiness. <laughs> Who says that in a sentence? I randomly came across an article on homophones. I say that sentence, apparently. Um, it gave a list of about 20 homophones. And if you grew up on VeggieTales, maybe you're thinking of one of the silly songs with Larry's, whether you like it or not, whether it's cold or it's hot. Um, so here are some of the highlights of the article. Boulder versus Boulder. The Boulder without the U means more bold. Boulder with the U, more rock. <laughs> canon, one N, canon, two Ns. Canon, one N, acceptable principle or rule, while canon, two Ns, is a big gun. They have sight, 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 depending on how it's spelled. Sight refers to a location or a vision or something you put in a report. There's also three different kinds of peak. 
One can be maximum height, another one referring to looking or just getting your interest. There's also three rains, right? The water that falls from the sky, rain as a period of time, or rain as like a leather strap, like rain it in. There's two reels, one with an A, which is genuine, and the one with two E's is something that holds string or film. There's two different roles, the part you act, while the role with the no E's but two L's has several meanings, including the action of rolling or a carb-loaded food. I was like, oh yeah, I'll remember that one. Um, there's also it's or it's, there, 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 your, your, your. Um, so this was one of the introductory sentences from that article. In conversation, a writer may hear the term peak, but depending upon the meaning, the word they hear could, they heard could be spelled one of three different ways, P-E-A-K, P-E-E-K, or P-I-Q-U-E. Or they may hear your, which could be spelled Y-O-R-E, right, et cetera, et cetera. This is the fun and or dilemma of dealing with homophones. And the opening line of this article reminded me of another dilemma we face today. Oftentimes, we'll use words in conversations with someone, and we think we're describing one thing, right? Like maybe we say, oh, this is really good, or, you know, this was really convicting, or things like that. And in reality, the arguments that are being constructed, although maybe are using the same terminology, can have completely different meanings. This actually happened to me recently where someone was saying how blessed they were at work, but the place that they work for is not a place that necessarily the Lord wants to bless them in. There are whole branches of semantics, study of meaning to try to bring some understanding to our world because the enemy relentlessly attacks truth. That's all he does all day, attack truth. Ladies, we need the Holy Spirit more than ever. He alone can guide us unto all truth as we're told in John 16. We are truly living in the times of Isaiah 5, verses 20 through 21. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. One of the main causes, not only of misunderstanding, but of confusion, deception, brokenness, which is oftentimes manifested in depression, anxiety, paranoia, even hatred, is a matter of misconstruing the truth about sin. Adultery, that's termed as an affair. Homosexuality, no, that's just an alternative lifestyle, or worse yet, no, it's love. Gluttony, is phrased as a positive body image. Laziness, no, let's coin that as, you know, a self-care day. Righteousness, no, that's called fanaticism. Godly morals, how could someone be so intolerant? To be pro-life automatically means you're anti-woman, 
And believing in the inerrancy of scripture is oftentimes equated with a lack of education, even a lack of intelligence. Our world has its definitions all backwards. And it's not as cute as the homophones, your homonyms, your homographs. It is evil because, again, our enemy relentlessly attacks truth. Joshua chapter 7 is the only recorded defeat in the conquest of Canaan. And I love how David Guzik uh, comments on this portion of scripture. He says, Israel could not be defeated by the Canaanites, but they could defeat themselves by alienating themselves from God's plan and power. A small amount of sin accepted and tolerated among believers can infect the whole group. In this sense, the acceptance and toleration of sin is worse than the sin itself. So it must be dealt with strictly. A small amount of sin accepted and tolerated among believers can infect the whole group. So in this sense, acceptance and toleration of sin is worse than the sin itself. So it must be dealt with strictly. So for our time tonight, as we look at chapter seven and eight, we're gonna look at seven lies, I'm sorry, six lies that we tell ourselves about our sin, okay? There's six lies that often we tell ourselves about our sin. And that's all there are is lies because the enemy relentlessly attacks truth. The first sign, uh, sorry, the first lie we will tell ourselves about our sin is, it's just a little treat, right? It's just a little something. It's just a little. In other words, we're telling ourselves, I deserve this, right? It's just a little break. It's just, it's just a little, just a little. I deserve this. And we see that in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Later on in this chapter, we'll see how it was his sense of entitlement that led to Achan's downfall. Later on in verse 22 through 21, he answers Joshua and says, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw the spoils among the spoils, a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. Like, what's the big deal? I saw it, I wanted it, I took it. And there they are, hidden in the earth, in the midst of my tent, with the silver underneath it. But ladies, we're not only gonna look at lies tonight, we're also gonna look at the truth that can overpower them. Because that's the only way that we can combat lies, is with the truth. We know that Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. So let's not just be discouraged that so often we, like Aiken, will lie to ourselves and tell ourselves these little things. Oh, I deserve this. It's okay. It's just a little treat. It's just a little something. Let's look at the truth that we need to combat that lie. 
The truth that we need to remember is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. When you're tempted with just a little treat, just a little, you know, self-indulgence, just a little something that we know is sin at the end of the day and we're trying to justify, consider the fear of the Lord. Am I making this decision based on the fear of the Lord? The phrase, the fear of the Lord, appears 27 times in the New King James Version of the Bible. And more than half of those occur in the book of Proverbs, 15 times to be exact. And if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know that the fear of the Lord is a reverence. It's a respect for Him. It's a desire to please Him above a desire to please self, right? That's the fear of the Lord in the nutshell, where you care more about what God thinks about a situation than how uncomfortable it may be, than how inconvenient it may be, than how much better this other solution will be. Like, surely God understands why I have to lie about this and in this, you know, in the books or in this report. You know, surely, no, the fear of the Lord will keep us from those things. And there's so many verses in Proverbs. I'm going to kind of run through this because of time. Proverbs 129, that some hated knowledge so they did not choose the fear of the Lord. Do you know you have a choice? You can choose to fear the Lord. It's your choice. Chapter two, verse five in Proverbs says, you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. It's something we can understand. Chapter eight, verse 13 tells us that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth God hates. 9.10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Does anyone here need wisdom about a situation they're facing? I feel like I need wisdom all the time, every day for every situation I'm facing. It begins with the fear of the Lord. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Chapter 10, verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs days. The fear of the Lord is a strong confidence, chapter 14, verse 26. And the next verse, chapter 14, verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It turns us away from the snares of death. I love chapter 15. It says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Anyone trying to avoid trouble these days? Seek the fear of the Lord. Verse 33 of that same chapter, I don't know if I said it, but that was 1516. 1533, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. And I really, 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 really liked verse six of chapter 16. Proverbs 16 verse six says, in mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. We're going to mess up. We're going to have times where we make mistakes. But ladies, if we are walking in the fear of the Lord, we will depart from that evil as soon as we recognize it. We won't linger there. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Proverbs 19, 23, he who has it will abide in satisfaction. 
Has there been a lack of contentment lately in your life in this season? Maybe you wish you had a bigger budget, a bigger house, more of this, more of that. Satisfaction comes from living a life in the fear of the Lord. Chapter 22, verse 4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Riches, honor, and life. Who doesn't want more of that? Riches, honor, and life. It comes by the fear of the Lord and humility. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. And that's Proverbs 23, verse 17. My sisters, there is no such thing as too much fear of the Lord. There's no such thing as that. You can't fear the Lord too much. You can't reverence him too much. You can't make a decision that is too much based on the fear of the Lord. There's no such thing. We can always grow in our relationship with the Lord by walking in the fear of the Lord. Now we'll jump into the second lie that often we'll tell ourselves, right? The first thing we'll tell ourselves is, I deserve this. It's just a little treat. It's just, it's just a little something. Then the second thing we'll tell ourselves oftentimes is, it's not that bad. It's just not that bad, right? And what we're telling ourselves is, I don't think it's wrong, right? I don't think it's wrong. Look at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 7. Now, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Haven on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them saying, go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said, do not let all the people go up, but let about two, 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. The lie here is so tricky. It's so subtle. I is not that far. It's not that many people. It's not going to be that hard to defeat these enemies. But what is the truth that we need when we think something isn't that bad? When we think it's not really that wrong, the truth we need is humility. We need to humble ourselves and recognize that pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And that's again in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. The Bible reminds us time and time again about the importance of humbling ourselves, coming to the Lord in humility. He knows better than we do. We're not the ones that get to decide whether something is right or wrong. Scripture does. Right? So as we grow in our fear of the Lord, we need to also grow in our humility to accept what Scripture tells us is wrong as wrong. And, and we grow in that. And that's how we combat that lie that it's not, it's just, it's not that bad, right? Humility. We know in 2 Chronicles 7, 14 that that is the key to the Lord answering our prayers, Second, sorry, Second Chronicles 7, 14. Proverbs eleven two. When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16, 19. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Unfortunately, Achan had to find out the hard way, right? That it's better to be with a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide spoil with the proud with the proud. And I encourage you, do a study on humility, right? What does it mean to be humble? We live in a world, in a society that worships 
pride, right? Quite literally, there's a whole month dedicated to it, right? And not just that, but even when we think of self-image, right? I'm sure 30, 40 years ago, that word self was not so much a part of vernacular. We even have selfies, right? Like there's so many terms about self all the time. Self this and self that, self-esteem, self-care, blah, 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 blah. There's too much self. We need to walk in humility. We need to learn that again. We need to grow in that. Because God knows better about sin and he knows better about me and he knows more about reality than I do, right? My version of sin, my version of myself, my version of reality is nothing compared to what God knows. So who am I to sit here and evaluate an action that God's word has clearly said is wrong and say, oh, but like, it's not that bad. No, we need to be walking in humility because essentially what we're saying is, God, you didn't, you didn't know what you were talking about when you said that that was wrong. I, I know better here. Let me help you. Let me help you write the next Bible. It sounds so ridiculous, but that's what we sound like, I'm sure, when we're justifying these things. A third lie is, it's just going to affect me, right? This sin, uh, it's, it's just something that, you know, I'll deal with the consequences. I'm not hurting anyone, right? How often have we heard that or even said that, used that phrase? It's not hurting anyone. Verse four of Joshua chapter seven and verse five. So about 3,000 men went up from there, from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men. For they chased them from before the gate as far as Sherebim, Sherebarim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. 36 people died. 3,000 men were defeated. And all the hearts, the entire nation, their hearts melted and became like water. The truth that we need to combat this lie is accountability. Instead of thinking that my sin doesn't affect anyone else, instead of thinking I'm not hurting anyone, why don't I ask them, hey, if I did this, would it hurt you? Right? That's what accountability looks like. If I did this, do you think I'm walking in the fear of the Lord? Hey, this decision, does it sound like humility or does it sound like pride? The truth is we need accountability. We need to be reminded that our actions affect others. Proverbs eleven fourteen tells us, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 24, verse six, for by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors, there we have it again, is safety. Safety. This world is craving safety. And yet never has it been more isolated, never has it worshipped independence more. So, so there's this conflicting thing where it wants the blessings and, you know, the, the good things that the Lord promises without following his ways. And that doesn't exist. That conflict can't be resolved. We have to surrender. We have to turn to um, those that we want to be accountable to and be open Right? And it's not enough just to seek wise counsel. We have to heed it, 
right? It's not just like, oh, let me have a multitude of counselors and have all this advice and learn all these good things and then I'll figure out my own path. That doesn't work. We have to heed it. Do you guys remember um, the parable in Matthew chapter 7 with the wise builder and the foolish builder? Right? Um, The wise man built his house upon the rock. The rains came tumbling down and the foolish man did the same. Um, Recently, I noticed how much the parable is the repetition of the same things, right? So much that these builders have in common. And you can look it up yourself too. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, they both built houses, rain descended on both of them, Floods came to both these builders' homes. Winds came and beat vehemently on both of these homes, right? But there was a clear difference. One was sand, one was rock. And what is that metaphor representing? Why did one house fall and the other one stood firm? Well, the difference is between verse 24 and 26. The only description that change between the wise builder and the foolish one is does not do them. Do you realize that both these builders heard the word? In the parable, both the wise and the foolish builder heard the word of God. The only difference in the foundation being sand versus rock and the consequence of that, right? The house standing or falling was whether or not they did them. Ladies, we need to heed the godly counsel of our accountability. We are so blessed in this church. Sunday, Wednesday, we are being taught from the words of life. Are we putting them to practice? Or are we justifying our sins saying, oh, this is only gonna affect me. Or it's not that bad. Or, you know, I kind of deserve this break. Like, it's been, it's been a really long day, week, month, whatever. And we think, we think we're entitled to something when we forgot we're slaves. Like Jesus purchased us. We belong to him. Now we get to the climax of these two chapters. Up until this point, Joshua had not sought the Lord. He hadn't inquired of him. There was no altar, no prayers recorded, just sending out spies to walk by sight rather than faith. No wonder his tone almost seems like he's accusing God in these next couple of verses, verses 6 through 16. Then Joshua tore his clothes. He fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, alas, Lord God, why? That's a super dangerous question to ask. Why have you brought this upon why have you brought this people over the Jordan to all? Blah. Sorry, I'm going to try that again. Why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites? To destroy us? Oh, that we had been content to dwell on the other in Egypt? No, other side of the Jordan. But it sounds familiar, doesn't it, right? Like those wishing they had stayed in Egypt? Oh, Lord, what shall I Whoa, 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 shouldn't the pronoun be you? What shall I do? What shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name. Wait, since when has anyone cared about your name, right? Since when has this ever been about Israel's name, 
right? But all of a sudden, Joshua's concerned. They're going to surround us. They're going to cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Verse 10, so the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Ladies, here's where we find our title. Why are we lying in defeat? God corrected Joshua's lying, not just posture-wise, but heart-wise. God cares as much what we believe about him today as what Joshua believed there in the outskirts of Ai more than 3,000 years ago. If our focus is as off as Joshua's focus was, and not based on the truth of who God is, but perhaps the catastrophe of a situation or a seeming injustice or what we rationalize to be unfair, the Lord must correct our belief before beginning to work in any circumstances. The same way he did with Joshua. He had to address, he had to correct his belief before beginning to even work on the circumstances. So that's where we get our title. Why are we lying in defeat? We're lying to our face, we're lying to ourselves, and we're lying in our face accusing God as if this was his fault. And God comes in and he tells us, get up, stop lying. The next lie is, it's just not my fault, right? In other words, I blame God. And that's what Joshua did here in these verses. But the truth that we need is confession. We need to own up to it. We need to take blame. We need to say, Lord, this is my fault and come clean before him. Lord, I chose not to walk in the fear of the Lord. Lord, I chose to ignore even taking this to my accountability or, or maybe I told them and I just decided I didn't want to hear what they had to say. So here comes our loving father correcting Joshua, verses 11 through 16. Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. They have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but they turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. Because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. And verse 14, in the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families, the family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. Joshua received this correction from the Lord. He didn't hold those feelings in. He didn't spread them around camp. He brought his heart, bearing it bare, before the Lord. He received the directions from the Lord and applied it right away. He didn't sleep in that day, 
right? It tells us that he arose early in the morning. He didn't wait till after his lunch break. He didn't spend a day or two to see if the issue would resolve itself. Oh, let's just give him time. You know, they'll, they'll come to their senses. No, he rose early in the morning and he obeyed. Ladies, do you know that it is often God's mercy that lets us fail when there's sin in our lives? It's often God's mercy that lets us fail when there's sin in our lives. The shortest time period in a believer's life should be that moment when we are convicted to repenting, to going forward in victory. That should, those should be like mere minutes, right? We're convicted about something, we repent of it, and we start moving forward in victory. Dying to self in that way is the only way to overcome and defeat sin. The war was already won at the cross. So are we battling sin that way? Are we battling from that vantage point of victory? Romans 8.1 exhorts us, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You could also jot down 1 John 1, verses 6 through 10, 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, where we are promised forgiveness if we confess. If we admit, Lord, this is my fault. I'm the one to blame. I messed up, Lord. Would you forgive me? His answer is yes. Could you imagine that morning, Achan, his tribe gets called up. I mean, the Lord already called him out, right? In chapter seven, verse one, he says his dad's name, his daddy's dad's name. Like we already know, like there's no mistaking. Just in case Achan is a very common name, we know exactly which Achan this was. But he just stands there. Among the tribe of Judah, I don't know about you, right? But like the, the Holy Spirit was, I'm sure, pounding on Achan's heart from the moment that he took the stuff, right? So when you hear sanctify yourselves tomorrow because the Lord is gonna do business, I'm sorry, it was me. I'm sorry, Joshua, here it is. Here's the stuff, right? And I would, I would even bring it, like get all that stuff out of my tent here. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. That was me. No, but he, he stands there among the tribe of Judah. Like, it's all good. Like, you know, this is breezy. And then, right, we keep reading that. Like, they start taking tribe by tribe. And he, he, he waits until he's, like, the only one in front of Joshua. And I'm thinking, wh- why? How? Like, I don't understand it. But I love how Sandy Adams writes it. He says, but that's the problem with sin. It causes you to hide and cover up and believe you're the exception. Sin is delusional. You start to think you'll be the first person in the history of the world to get away with it. Right? It blinds us. We think, no, it's not going to happen. Even though it's like, um, okay, tribe of Judah, you're up. Like, what? what? <laughs> like, how long did this take to get through all the other 12 tribes? Like, I don't know, like this is a process. And the Lord each time that he's weaning away another group of people is saying, Achan, get right, Achan, confess. Achan, fear of the Lord, hello, humility, something, nothing, no, okay. And there he goes through the whole thing, right? The clan of Judah. And this was probably one of the lies that I gotta believe Achan told himself because it's a lie that we tell ourselves all the time when it comes to our sin. It's just this one time. It's just this one time. I'm not going to do it again, right? It's just this, just this once, right? Um, but he doesn't, right? Because he sinned by taking the stuff. Then he sins by hiding the stuff. Then he sins by not confessing and telling and coming clean, right? So it wasn't just that one time. 
And who knows, maybe it was just that garment that caught his eye. But then he realized, and like also how good was Aiken with weights and shekels and so that he knew like, oh, this 50 pound and this, like, like obviously he contemplated it. He sat there and, you know, weighed his options quite literally of what to take and, and steal, right? But he took the garment and he took the coins and he took the wedge of gold thinking, oh, it's just this one time, right? But he doesn't. So in verse 19, Joshua calls him out. He says, I beg you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel. Make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. We read verses 20 through 21 at the beginning. Joshua sent messengers. They ran to the tent and there it was hidden, the silver under it. And they took, it from the, they took them from the midst of the tent and brought them to Joshua, to all the children of Israel, laid it out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with fire after they stoned them with stones. Um, David Guzik pointed out that some scholars believe that even though they brought all his family out and all his things, they burned all the things, but the only person who paid for his sin was Achan, right? Because it uses that pronoun. So all Israel stoned him with stones, right? So... I've also heard it the other way too, that because of his sin, his entire family, his whole household, you know, bared that consequence. But I guess that's something we'll know when we get to heaven. We'll ask Joshua, which one was it? And either way, the Lord is justified. Either way, it was the right call. Either way, it was the, the right thing that the people of Israel needed to see to understand the consequence of sin and the weight of that. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, verse 26. Still there to this day, so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. So instead of thinking it's just one time, right? The truth we need to remind ourselves is to trust God's timing. Why? Achan took the stuff one city away from being able to take all the stuff. He was just one battle away from the Lord providing for his every need and want and every Babylonian coat and every piece of Egyptian silver or whatever wedge of gold, one battle away from the Lord providing for that need, that want, that desire. Trust God's timing. Verses one through two of chapter eight. Now the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid nor dismayed. Take all the people of war with you. Arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, his land, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king only its spoil and its cattle. You should take as booty for yourselves. It's your treasure. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. Sadly, there's often sin in the camp simply by getting ahead of God's timing. Sexual impurity is such an imposter. That's the first one that comes to mind. We take God's gift of sex and we take it out of its context instead of learning to wait, right? God designed it for marriage, one man, one woman in marriage. And right, that's one example, but there's so many of, of those that we get impatient and we think this need will never be satisfied by the Lord, so I'm gonna do it myself. 
trust God's timing. Don't think, oh, it's just this one time. Think God's timing is perfect. Our last lie that we're going to look at tonight is it's just too much. It's just too hard to stop. And really what we're saying is I'm going to be defined by my sin. I'm going to let my sin be my identity. And the truth that we need is repentance. We need to take a 180 and completely turn away from that practice, that sin. Verses 3 through 13 we see that God instructs Joshua to set up an ambush against the city. And the very thing that the enemy had used to defeat the children of Israel was now going to be used to defeat their enemies, right? Because of God's mercy and grace, he used the very tactic that the enemy wanted last time, right? That took 36 lives, that melted the hearts of the people like water. And he's going to use that same tactic So the Israelites have victory over their enemies. And that's in verses 8 through basically the rest of the chapter. When temptation arises, take it and turn it around for victory. Is there a verse that you've been wanting to memorize? Maybe, you know, three or four verses, a portion of scripture. And you know that you have a besetting sin. You know that there's a temptation, maybe an anxious thought that creeps in. Maybe you start worrying about the future, depression, or a lustful thing, whatever it is, right? The next time the enemy tempts you with it, say, oh, that's right, I got to practice my verse. Have in your back pocket three or four people that you really know are struggling, that need someone to intercede for them. And when the enemy puts that thought in your mind, that temptation, say, oh, it's time to pray. It's time to pray for, you know, the missionaries over there in India. It's time to pray for this friend that I know was just recently diagnosed with this illness or this person that I know is struggling financially. Use what the enemy is trying to defeat you and get victory. Use those opportunities where temptation is coming in to fight on the offensive. Repentance is that 180, even as the soldiers turn back right? When they were pretending that they were defeated, they did a 180 and they took that city. And that's what repentance looks like. Joe Foge put it this way. One thing Joshua is going to learn is this. All of the victories in this book are secondary. His initial victory is always hearing from the Lord. Once he hears from the Lord, the secondary victory is assured. All of his defeats are secondary because he failed in some way before them. You and I are always in the battle of secondary causes, right? Our first victory, our first battle is hearing from the Lord. If we're able to fight the flesh and win that victory, everything else is secondary. That's why the chapter ends with a renewal of the covenant to God's word. A total defeat of sin begins with a total adherence to the word of God. I love those verses, beginning in verse 30. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord, and sacrificed peace offerings. Verse 32, and there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, 
which he had ridden. Then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gezeem and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before, that they should bless the people of Israel. In verse 34, and afterward he read all the words of the law the blessings and the cursings according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel with the woman, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. We can't just read and teach and apply the blessings. We need to understand and heed and be warned of the cursings as well in God's word. Sin causes the loss of God's power and presence. Sin shuts off the shower of God's blessing. Sin stifles and strangles the abundant life promised in Christ. Sin paralyzes and immobilizes the life of the individual believer and the local body. God's message to Joshua applies to God's people today in times of obvious spiritual defeat and decline, namely, Deal with sin. And that was Wesley Hunt, right? Ladies, there's so much to think about. But let's not leave tonight without thinking of the cross, right? How much sin cost our Lord. I'm reminded of um, a quote that Liz shared with us if you were here during the seminar. If not, you can find them online. But she says, If there's one thing the cross shows us is that sin is hard to deal with even for God, right? Sin, its consequences, guys, we can't deal with it in our own strength. We need to repent. We need to confess. We need to go to our accountability. We need to trust God's timing. We need to stop lying to ourselves when it comes to our sin. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for these two chapters. We thank you, Lord, that we do not have to be defined by our sin, but that our identity, our life is hid with you, Jesus, that you purchased that for us on the cross, Lord. We love you so much. God, cleanse us. I pray that we would wake up early as Joshua did, Lord, and make things right with you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.